Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as we go through the sermon tonight, Lord, like Mkharat shared, Lord, may we just again, Father, remember, Father, your work on the cross. And not as a cliche, Father, not as something that we just say, Lord, but may the revelations just drop anew, Father. And eyes just look afresh, Father. And may the realization be there, Lord, that you are worthy of it all. Worthy of it all, Father. None like you. We thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here revealing that work to us, Lord. And may we leave here tonight, Lord, with a greater revelation of who you are and a greater willingness, Lord, to surrender everything to you and obey as your word comes. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight is Rest for the Weary. Be still and know that he is God. And in two weeks... Back, we looked at prayer and how prayer comes and reveals our hearts, refine our hearts and compels our hearts to action. And last week we looked at yoking with Jesus, rest for the weary, coming to him and receiving from him. And one of the statements that we made is that we have to realize that if we are weary, if we are depleted, anxious, depressed, worn out, then we have to admit to ourselves that we are either not actively coming to Christ or when we come to Christ, we do not receive what he wants to give. Like he said, learn from me. Allow me to teach you. Take my yoke upon me. Let me place this burden upon you. And if you are still worn out and there's no rest, then there's an inability to receive the teaching, to receive the yoke, to receive the burden that God wants to give. And in that, find rest. And we're going to continue along that path tonight, speaking again a bit devotionally about prayer. And before I begin, I want to ask us a, a couple of questions. When it comes to our prayer life, and the first one is, what percentage of your life is represented in your prayers? If you think about your life and the things that you are busy with and the things that influence you, the goals that you have, the plans that you make and the things that you do on a weekly basis, you have your church life, you have your relationship with God, your wife, kids, work, the plans that you have, the things that you accumulate the idea that you have for your old age maybe, the relatives, family members, friends, hobbies, all of those things are part of your life. And I'm going to ask the question, how much of that life is represented in your prayers? When you reflect on what you pray for, what, what percentage of your life is represented in it? Because like we said two weeks back, you know, the, the what, the whys and the whens of our prayer lives reveal a lot about our hearts. The things that we cherish, our revelation that we have about prayer. And then sometimes we have this secular holy divide where we think that there's certain things that I can pray about and certain things just isn't meant to pray about. God doesn't want to work there. He doesn't, he doesn't want to get involved in that. And he doesn't really care much about that. It's just something I do on a day-to-day -day basis. But God wants to be actively involved in every aspect of our lives. Wants to work, move, lead, guide in every area of our lives. 
You know, for us growing up in a Christian culture, we have to recognize something that for most people, when speaking about prayer, it's just something nice to do. A traditional thing. When the family comes together, but I think rarely, you know, is there a revelation of what prayer does, how God mightily works through prayer, the importance of it. And one of the things that I hope drops in hearts tonight for each and every one of us sitting here, a greater revelation of prayer, a greater revelation of who God is and how he intends to work and be glorified through the prayers of his people. Yes, God working sovereignly, but choosing to do so through the prayers of his people. God working, God shifting. And like we said last week, inevitably the burdens that we carry and the things that wear us out and that make us become tired, anxious and depressed, many times the goals, the plans and the ideas we have about life that we did not receive from God. Why? Because if I determine the meaning of success, if I set the goal, if I make the plan, then I am the source that should bring that plan to fruition. I look to myself to accomplish what I've set out to do. But when the plan and the idea of success is derived from God, if God gives the goal, if God gives the vision, then he's the source that will bring that to fruition, not me. And he carries that. He says, I will empower you for what I've called you to do. And in light of that, we also then have to ask ourselves, the ideas, the plans, and the goals that you have in your life at this moment, how much did you receive from God and has God at the source to bring that to fruition? And how much of that is your own plans, your own goals, your own ideas? Because you are the source then, and that will weigh you out. That will make you tired. That will give you restless nights because the planning will keep on going and going and going. Because you are the source of security when it comes to those things. Instead of God. Now who is your main advisor? And again, not that God should be our advisor, but you know what I mean. Get the point. Who do you run to when you plan? Who do you run to when times of trouble comes, when things shake you a little bit and things don't go as planned and troubles come? Where do you run to first? And again, we know what we should say, but again, when we test the reality of our lives and reflect what we actually do, what's the answer then? And where, do, where does God pop up on that list? When do we eventually turn to God if we don't turn to him first? When the line does he come? Like Oswald Chambers says, we many times see prayer as a last resort. God wants us to see it as a first line of defense. We want to pray when there's nothing to do. God wants us to pray when we haven't done anything at all. Remember many times you have this saying that all we can do now is pray. You know, we've tried everything ourselves. So let's see if this prayer thing also works. You with me? Many times get that way of thinking about prayer and the things that we do in life. And the reason, because again, is our revelation of prayer. Many times you want to first try self. Many times you want to first plan, first phone someone, first get that idea and try to do something on our own because I can see there's actively something happening. I can see myself making a list making some plans, making some steps. But when I pray, I don't always see the results happening. I don't always see what God is busy with. It doesn't always seem like something's happening. It's because the revelation of 
prayer hasn't dropped. The things that we should do and take that to God. And there's two parts in that. And one of it is to be still and to know that He is God. Who has heard that verse before? Be still and know that He is God. And we find that verse in Psalm 46, verse 10 It's just the first part. And it says, Be still and know that I am God. You know, and together with Jeremiah 29, that we looked at two weeks back, and Joshua 1 verse 9, you know, that, that has to be the, the three verses that is just stickered on everything that you see and printed on most things that you see. Quite a cozy verse. But again, it's supposed to be and belong in a certain context that gives meaning to that verse. And again, like Jeremiah 29, this verse also finds itself in the context of prayer. But not so much a prayer that has a revealing effect on the heart, but it gives us the idea and the result of a prayer, of a heart that understands prayer. That is where this verse is found. That is the context of this verse. The results of a heart that understands the power of prayer. You see, the greater we grow in our revelation of God, the greater we should grow in our understanding of prayer. The greater our revelation of God becomes, the greater our desire should be to pray. Because I cannot have a greater revelation of who God is, yet not be compelled to draw close to this God so that he can work mightily through prayer. Because that is what he desires. And again, it gives us a bit of an indication that isn't relative. You know, when someone comes and asks the question, hey, have you grown in your revelation of who God is? Have you grown in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? And then if you say yes, then there has to be a longing to pray. There has to be that longing to pray. And if you're here tonight and you're wondering to yourself, okay, but what does being still and prayer have to do with one another? Then you are praying wrong. There has to be the moment of silence and the moment of speaking, just like a conversation with any other individual. Are you with me? There's a time when we speak, but there's a time of silence when we listen. And the time of silence and the time of speaking will depend upon the value that you place on your own words and the words of the person that you are speaking to. Isn't that interesting? You see, whenever I'm confronted with someone and I really value what they have to say, I really look up to this person, I really think that they are someone that has wisdom, knowledge and insight, then I remain silent so that they can speak because their words have value to me. And many times we find people unable to listen because they don't place value on other people's words. They think what they have to say matters most, more important, more wise. And when it comes to God and when we apply that to our prayer lives, we also have to admit to ourselves that many times we are more concerned about what God can do than what God wants to say. I'm more concerned about what God can do for me then when he, then what he wants to say to me. And yes, when we spend time in scripture, God speaks. But there should also be a silence as we wait upon the leading of God. Still today, Romans 8, we read that all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And I want to ask us a question, how much of what you are currently doing in your life, the plans that you have, the ambitions and the ideas, how much of that have you received from the leading of the Spirit? 
where you are, what you are busy with, the plans that you have in life, how much of that can you confidently say, this is what God wants me to do? This idea and this thing, God has given that to me. This vision comes from God. This is not my own plan and ideas. And we also see that in the way that we pray many times. Sometimes we say, hey Lord, I just want to inform you, I'm moving jobs, please bless that. That again is the wrong way, if you're wondering. Don't do that. Oh God, I've decided and I've really taken everything into account. Just want to inform you, this is an informed decision. But I'm moving. Please bless my journey to that specific location. No being still, no wondering. And we can many times see this, you know, when someone's job opportunity comes or something shifts, then all of a sudden we want to, you know, pull a bunch of people together. Hey guys, we need to fast and pray with me. You should have been fast and praying all along. Why take upon God to speak? So that when the noise comes, you know what God expects of you. And you see, we, we do this, we rush and we strive. And we plan. And we try to do all of these things in ourselves. And it's in the midst of that, as we're tiring ourselves out, as we are becoming anxious and depressed, where God says, be still. Literally cease striving. Stop what you are doing. Let go. Be still. Afrikaans says, bedar. Laat staan. Be still. Cease the striving. Be still. And allow God to speak. And there's two moments of silence when it comes to the prayer and the work that God wants to do. And that is before the time and after the time. As we wait upon the word of God, but also as we reflect on what God has done. You see this verse here, or this half of a verse, finds itself within two contexts. The first one is the song, Psalm 46, in which it is found. And the second is a historical context about a certain thing that happened in Israel and in response to what God has done, they sang the song. So let's place this verse in its context and see what we can learn. We'll first look at the historical context and secondly, we'll then look at the psalm in which it's found. We're going to read about King Hezekiah. Who has heard about King Hezekiah before? A lot of mighty kings and a lot of great people. Mainly we look to David and to Saul. David on what to do, Saul on what not to do. But just to show you the man that we are dealing with here, we read the following in 2 Kings 18, verse 5 and 6. And it says this about King Hezekiah. It says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. That's quite a statement. Obviously fallen and sinful like we are, but still, no king quite like him. He held fast to the Lord. He followed the commandments of God with everything in him. And I don't know about you, but I, I think that that is a, a good example to imitate. Someone to look to so that we can learn from Hezekiah. And he did a lot of things. He broke down the high places that Israelites used to offer to other gods. He broke the staff of Moses because like human beings are, they started to sacrifice to the staff that Moses used to lead the Israelites into the promised land. 
He won a lot of wars and reclaimed a lot of territory for Israel. A lot of things that King Hezekiah did, but if we can stop and pause for a moment and just single out something in his life, it is his trust in the Lord, his understanding of prayer and the importance of waiting upon God until he speaks before we do anything else. You see the Assyrian armies moved up against Israel. And yes, there was a bit of a debating and a bargaining in the beginning, but nonetheless, we see this valuable principle standing out in the life of Hezekiah. And the Syrian armies pull up to Israelites, and before them, nation after nation, they wiped out, killed the towns they destroyed and the people they took into captivity. Literally, some of the towns not leaving one brick upon another, destroying everything. Pulled up against Samaria, took over Samaria, pulled up against the fortified cities of Judah, took them over. Now they stand at the gates of Jerusalem, the only city left. And they are taunting and mocking the people, saying, don't put your trust in God. Come out, lest we do the same to you. And a lot of things were said, but the one question that we should answer and look to is the question that the king of Assyria asked in verse 19. We read in 2 Kings 18 verse 19 the following. And the Rabshakeh, that is just a spokesperson, said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? On what do you rest this trust of yours? Why do you think you'll be able to withstand? Who do you think will deliver you? On what do you rest this trust of yours? And in verse 35, he says to him, Whom among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. Taunting the God of Israel. And one thing that we should notice that this is, is happening to a devout man. A king that lived such a righteous life that there was none like him. And again, we see that when we faithfully follow God, God doesn't say, I promise that you will have a peaceful life and that nothing will go wrong. No, instead, persecution will come. Oppression will come. The war will come. But the promise is that God will be with us and the end result will be foremost glory unto God. Secondly, our good, a faith more purified. A revelation of God that is greater and a trust that is rested on God. And now the question that we have to ask ourselves tonight is, what would you have done in this same circumstance? I know it's a bit relative, but what would you have done? You're in the last city left. Here's this mighty king standing with thousands and thousands of soldiers. City after city, nation after nation wiped out. And he says, you're next. What do you do? You see, the problem is we tend to read history and identify with the good guys. We always think that we would have been those godly men and women, those brave soldiers. But when we understand scripture right, it says we are rarely those people, if not for the grace of God. If not for the grace of God, we are not those people. And an easy way to answer the question is to simply reflect on what you are doing now. You see, no matter how small the trouble is that you face, not, no matter how small the circumstance that you are going through, no matter how small the opposition, your approach to that will answer the question of on what you rest your trust as well. Your approach to the way you handle life. And the opposite is also true. 
when we are prospering and when everything is going well and the plans we make and the things we do, our approach to that will also show us on what we rest our trust. Where do we run to first? Who do we consult first? Where do we turn to first? Is it our paycheck? Is it our employer? Is it our own wisdom, our plans, our possessions? A friend? Some other person or even past this podcast? Where do you turn to first? Or is it God that you primarily turn to? Because look what King Hezekiah does when he hears what is happening. We read in 2 Kings 19 verse 1 and 2. And it says, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, and it actually went read correctly, and after that, and after that he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Sepna the secretary, and the senior priest covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. And in verse 4 he tells Isaiah, also pray, pray for the remnant that is left. But he goes to the house of the Lord. And something important to understand here that Hezekiah isn't you know, outsourcing his work of prayer and waiting upon the word of the Lord. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm outsourcing my prayer life to, to Isaiah. Tell him to pray. Tell him to hear from God. No, Hezekiah understands something. That Isaiah is the prophet. He is the dedicated spokesperson of God. And that when God speaks, he speaks through this man because that is the man that God appointed works a little bit different for us because Jesus Christ was crucified and raised to life and the spirit poured out and we have access to God and we can hear from him ourselves. not so here but it gives us a beautiful picture of waiting being still and waiting because after Hezekiah goes and he prays himself he doesn't run to Isaiah he sends people to Isaiah and after he went to the house of the Lord and after he prayed he's literally sitting there in stillness waiting for the good of the Lord to come. And in that waiting, he doesn't write to the kings that are with him and asking them, send men, send chariots. He's not phoning a friend. Before anything happens, he sits and he waits in stillness for the word of the Lord to come. And the word of the Lord comes and says, do not be afraid of the king of Assyria, for I will send him back to his own nation, and there he will fall by the sword. And that happens. The king of Assyria goes back, but he sends a letter to Hezekiah saying to them, even though I'm going away, I'll still leave my army here. They're still going to invade. They're still going to kill. They're still going to destroy. They are not going away. And look what happens when Hezekiah receives the letter. Again, verse 14 and 15, we read the following. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone are of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Again, the first thing that Hezekiah does is he turns to God and he spreads it before the Lord. And he prays before the God of heaven and earth. Pours himself out. And even the prayers of Hezekiah, you can go and read this later tonight. He's not primarily focused on the prosperity of the people, but on the glory of God. Firstly, he prays and he says, Lord, these people are mocking you, Lord. Come and execute vengeance. 
Come and show yourself strong. And also, Lord, if you're willing, save your people. But primarily it's about the glory of God. And he spreads it before the Lord. I love that phrase. Taking the letter and spreading it before the Lord. Lord, this is the situation. This is all of it. This is what's going on. This is my thoughts towards it. This is how I feel. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, when last and how often have you spread your heart before the Lord? Saying to the Lord, Lord, these are my plans. These are the things that bother me, Lord. These are the things that overwhelm me, that constantly keeps me awake at night. These are the things that I think that I know I should not think. These are the feelings I have that I know I should not have. But nonetheless, Lord, you know them altogether. Here is, Lord, I spread them open before you. And as I do that, I wait. I wait upon the Lord. You see, many times people ask the question, okay, but how do I know if I hear from God? Or how can I go to God neutrally? You can't. You can't go neutrally to God. Rarely. We are influenced in many ways. But we can go with an open heart. Saying, Lord, these are the things that I desire. These are the things I want. These are the thoughts I think. These are the plans I have. This is what I want to do if I have the choice. I'm aware of the things that influence me, Lord. But yet now I'm going to be still and allow you to speak. And the more in general we know and understand the word of God, the overarching purpose of God, the character of God, and the work of Christ, the better we will know and understand when God speaks to us in individual and specific leading. But we need to know that as well. But spread it open before God. When last? How often? Have you ever just went before God and said, this is everything, Lord. Here it is. And just lay it open before you. And if your answer now to yourself and your head is, I don't have the time, then you do not understand the power of prayer and the importance of waiting upon God until he speaks and leads. And Martin Luther said, I have so many things to do today, I'll have to spend at least three hours in prayer. Understanding what happens when we pray and when we go to God and allow him to work and to move. And listen to what God responds. After Hezekiah prays again, he waits in stillness on the word of the Lord. And Isaiah says the following in verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Your prayer to me, I have heard. And again, then God speaks and he challenges this king of Assyria, saying to him that you come up to me with a lot of chariots and bows and spears. And in your pride, you think that you can come up against the Most High. But in your pride, you will fall. You can go and read that and you own the rest of this chapter. And God speaking, telling him his thoughts. And one thing that we have to understand here and grasp just for a moment before we go to the conclusion of this. Is what did Hezekiah and the rest of the nation of Israel do after God answered them? Because God saying to them, I will take care of the Assyrian army. I will take care of them. You don't need to lift a finger. I will move mightily. What did they do? They went to sleep. That's what they did. Hezekiah went to sleep. Most of Israel went to sleep. Only the watchers on the walls stood awake. But as Hezekiah sleeps, as he rests in the assurance that God has spoken and that God is with them, 
They go to sleep. And the following happens as they sleep. 2 Kings 19, 35. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. That is God working. That is God saying, I will do this on my own. You don't need to lift a finger. And for some of us, this even challenges our concept of God and what he does and how he works. But God does as he pleases. He's not limited by anything, but he is governed by his character. And out of love for his people, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And as the people arose, these were all dead bodies. The king went home and as he went to his God's temple, Nisroth, and as he worshipped his God, he was killed by the sword in the temple of his God. The irony and the difference of bowing before the God of heaven and earth, the almighty Yahweh, and waiting upon him and he delivers. And the difference between going and bowing to the gods of the nations and being killed in the same temple. But now this is the scene playing off as they rise early that morning. And what stood before them the night before was thousands and thousands in the army of the Assyrians. And what they wake up to is a graveyard. 185,000 dead. And the rest of them fled. And bows and spears and chariots are left everywhere. Scattered on the ground. Now picture this as they come out the next morning and they see this before them. And in light of that context we read. Psalm 46, as Israel responds to the great work of God, they sang this song. And we read Psalm 46, and it goes like this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war seas to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I love the, I don't know if you've heard Sane in Shane, Psalm 46, the song. And as he explains also, before he sings the song, and as he went and looked at the context of this verse, he says, you know, he used to have this verse on his bedroom wall. And he said it was such a cozy verse. Be still and know that he is God. But now when we place it in its context, it is a little bit terrifying. Be still and know that I am God. As Israel walks out, it's 185,000 dead. And God says, do you understand what happens if you trust in me? If you are still and know that I am God, 
For the rest of the people running around whose hearts are in turmoil and who are anxious, he says, behold, come and behold the works of God. Be still and know that I am God. This is how God works sovereignly through prayer. This is how God works mightily. And in light of this, the psalmist tells us again that stillness does not always come before the time, but also afterwards. Yes, we should wait in the stillness and wait upon the words of God, but we should also be still and reflect on the mighty things that God has done after he has done them. You see, so many times I've heard the following statement. People come and they say, God has done so much for us and he has delivered again and again. And he has provided again and again. Yet, when turmoil comes, I still doubt. Who's heard that? Who said that? Why? It's because we fail to be still and reflect on the goodness of God after he delivers us from troubles. That's why. Because we don't pause and we don't look and we don't see. Like when Gerard said, sometimes when we look back, we see God was there all along. And we don't take a moment to be still and to reflect on the goodness of God. And that when I'm faced with the same trouble, I have the same fear, the same doubt, and the same anxiety. It's because we neglect to wait upon God in the stillness that we miss him in the noise. It's because we neglect to wait upon God in the stillness that we miss him in the noise. Because we are unable to reflect on the goodness of God. And as we sit here, many of us are maybe thinking about a lot of things in a lot of areas where God has come through, where God has shown himself faithful, where he has delivered and provided. But may one thing consume our thoughts more than any others when it comes to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And may we reflect on this more than all the others. And may we be still regularly and know that he is God in light of the following. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, what Paul is busy saying to us is, how is it possible that we reflect on the goodness of God, seeing Jesus Christ crucified? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. How is it that we reflect on that and when tribulations come, yet we still doubt? How is that possible? Because Paul says, when I reflect on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for me, then the conclusion, if it's God is for me, who can be against me? We all have read the rest of that chapter. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God when we reflect on the goodness of Jesus Christ for us. And even when it comes to this, in that same area of salvation where some of us are striving and we are working and we are laboring, trying to earn our salvation, trying to show God how good we are, God says, be still, stop striving. You don't have to do that. You don't have to prove yourself to me. I have done it all. Be still and know that I am God. The war on death was waged. Jesus fought the fight that we would never win against sin and death. And he overcame and he is victorious. And in light of that, we also reflect and we see as the enemy lays scattered, as sin and death lays scattered, 
and we reflect on the goodness of God. And when night comes, we go and we sleep. And may we in this time of rest constantly go and be still before God and reflect on the goodness of Christ. As we wait for God to come and give vision for the year that is ahead. And for us to go and take our plans and our ideas and what we are busy with and lay them out before God as well. And say, Lord, here they are. Come and remove. Come and change direction. Come and do as you please. But I will be still and know that you are God. And if you're wondering what those things are that you have thought out by yourself, or we, you haven't taken them to God, we haven't had vision, we haven't had direction directly from God himself. It is those things that as you try to sit in stillness that constantly overwhelm your mind. You just can't seem to be still because these things just come up again and again. It is those things that keep you up at night. What do you constantly think of as you try to be still before God? And instead of trying to ignore them, spread them out before God. Instead of trying to suppress them, pretending that they are not there, spread them before God. Saying, Lord, these are the things that are overwhelming my thoughts, that are keeping me from being still and knowing that you are God. Here they are, Lord. Now I wait upon you. And one thing that we should know is that when it comes to the first, you know, kind of area of being still and hearing from God, it is uncomfortable. Why? Because mostly God comes and deals with the pride of sinful self. And what he asks you to do is not to primarily go somewhere or minister somewhere or build something. It is to repent of the areas that are out of line with God. It is to let go of that thing that you don't want to. It is to go to that person that you don't want to speak to. It is to confess that thing to your wife or husband or friend that you don't want to. And God says, do not let pride stand in the way. He's not there to expose you or to shame you. But it is a good and loving father that wants you to have life and life in abundance. He wants to break off the chains. He wants to set you free. And he wants you to live fully. But when you are still before God and he says those things to you, obey. Obey. Reflect on the character of Christ. Look at Jesus Christ crucified for you. If he did that for you, how much more will he not graciously give you all things? He doesn't want to expose you. He wants to give you life and life in abundance. And if you say and you sit here tonight that I struggle to hear from God, you can reflect on, but what has he said already? Because one of the other unfortunate things for me and for us and for our pride is that God will not debate with us. If he said something, that is it. We have to understand something. If it's that thing that you don't want to lay down, that you don't want to confess, that you don't want to speak of to someone. And you say, Lord, just, just overlook this one. Just remove this one. Just take away this thing, Lord. Just let's forget about this one. I don't want to deal with that. Let's move to something else. The moment God says, yes, that's okay, we'll move to something else. He's by definition then not God anymore. Because now he's yielding to your will and plans and not his own. But he will not debate with us. But he said that is so. But may we be a people that come back next year after this time of rest. That know how to be still in the presence of God. And when the noise comes, there's trust, there's faith, there's assurance.
And we are not rattled by the things around us because God has spoken. Don't try and do it on your own. Don't try and figure it out on your own. But let's be still before God and allow him to speak as we reflect on the goodness of God. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that you are intimate, personal God, Lord, that desires to lead, Lord, to show, to reveal in every area of life. And we want to repent, Lord, of firstly, the areas of life, Lord, that we've kind of removed you, Lord, by default, saying, no, I don't think God wants to move and work here. But everything, Lord, every area of life might be laid down at your feet, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that as we stand here tonight, you already come in showing, Father, to many of us, Lord, the burdens that we carry that we should not be carrying, Lord, the plans that we have, the goals that we've made that did not come from you. And you are saying, lay them down. And in stillness, come to Christ and allow him to teach. Allow him to impart. Yoke with him. Take his burden upon you, but lay your own burden down. If you are here tonight and you are realizing that there is areas in your life that you have tried hard on your own, but you've never truly laid them down before God, just there where you are. Don't you repent of that and lift your voice to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, but I'm bringing it to you. Lead me, Lord. Guide me. Holy Spirit, show me. If there's areas in your life where you are anxious and overwhelmed and you don't know what to do and you are planning and going crazy, just there we are. Don't you just say, Lord, I'm bringing this area to you, Father, and I'm choosing to be still and I will wait upon your voice. you speak. When you are here tonight and it comes to the area of your salvation where you have tried so hard to please God, where you have tried so hard to show God that you can make it on your own, that you are good enough and you are weary and worn out, God is saying to you tonight, be still, stop striving, stop competing for what God has given freely. That is you tonight, just there where you stand. Why don't you just lift up your voice to God and say, Lord, I'm stopping. I'm being still, Lord. I'm done with the striving. And I will receive by faith what Jesus Christ did for me on that cross. And I will lay down my life, burdens and all. I'm taking up my cross, Lord, and following you. Just there we are. If that is you, just lift up your voice to God. For some of us standing here tonight, God is saying to you that that area of prayer, that battle that you are facing, that war that is raging, that person, that circumstance, God says, like he said to Hezekiah, he has heard your prayer. When come to die, go and sleep. But God is working and fighting for you. Go to sleep. Trust in God. Be still and know. Father, to some of us standing here tonight, Lord, those areas, Father, where you have heard them, Lord, where you are saying to them, I've heard your prayer about that person, about that circumstance, about that family member, about that friend. Be still. Go to sleep.
thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would reveal more and more to us, Lord, the significance of prayer, Lord, how you work mightily, Lord. May we be a people of prayer, Lord. May we be a people that wait upon you, Father, until you speak. Knowing that there is nothing more productive that we can do than lift our voice to you and wait until you speak, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead and guide into all truth. In Jesus' name.